Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter beginning in verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. And here we skip from verse 3 to verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a famine took place severely throughout that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us celebrate and eat. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, when the elder son was in the field and he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. The slave replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then the brother became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But, his father, but the boy answered his father, Look, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a great story. Luke sets up the setting. Sinful folks are eagerly listening to Jesus. Religious folks are griping and judging. And then Jesus addresses them all. In the verses that today's excerpt skips, 
Jesus tells of a shepherd seeking a lost sheep and of a woman seeking a lost coin. And then there was a man who had two sons. Now the crowd would immediately have thought of Adam, Abraham, Isaac. This culture is full of stories about a man who had two sons. As is often the case in these stories, the younger son does the unthinkable. This son asks for his inheritance way ahead of schedule. And then the father does the unthinkable, granting the request. And within days, his younger son heads off to a faraway land where he squanders all he has. Luke uses a word here that is found nowhere else in the entire Bible. It connotes excess and a general opposite of uprightness. And then, wouldn't you know it, famine strikes, and this reckless youth finds himself in such dire straits that he ends up working with pigs, anathema to his family's culture. And even then, he's so hungry that he covets the pig's food, and nobody helps him. He is that far from home. There, at absolute rock bottom, which is a place that you may or may not know, he comes to his senses, realizing that even his father's hired hands get to eat. And so he says to himself, I'm going back, and I'll just say, Father, I'm not worthy to dwell in your house and eat at your table and be called your child, but please just let me work here. Now you can read that as repentance, and you can read that as conniving. Homiletician David Buttrick reads it as, I'll go to daddy and sound religious. But the story does not linger here. The son retraces his steps toward home, and before he even reaches the mailbox, his dad has spotted him, which sure makes me think that the father's been watching for him. And here comes his father barreling down the path to meet that son, perhaps now a, a head taller, to gather him in his strong again arms. The son begins his rehearsed speech, Father, how that word must have landed on the father's ear. Father, I am not worthy, but the father cuts him off, calling for the softest clothes, for shoes, even jewelry, calling for the best food, calling for rejoicing. It's a classic story, beginning, middle, end, with what happens last being most important. The lost is found. Let's rejoice. I think that as a parent, I've been spared this particular kind of beginning and middle, but that ending feels familiar, that extravagant joy at the sudden presence of a child. I think not just of end-of-semester homecomings. This is more singularly profound. I think of when each of my sons was born older brother, younger brother, each finally entering the reality that Clark and I had been living without him. And what did we do? We wrapped him, not in a robe, but in a blanket, the best, softest one. We counted fingers that may one day wear a ring. We marveled at feet, too tiny yet for sandals. And I, all pain and waiting forgotten, I offered my child the food that would strengthen him and welcome him and bind us together. And then, oh, the celebrations of phone calls and photographs. Our sons, thanks be to God, have never been lost to us. 
So that image is the closest I can get to the feeling of this moment, this golden moment of foundness that is our last glimpse of the prodigal son. But it's not the last moment of the story Jesus is telling. Remember, the story began, there was a man who had two sons. Well, what about the other son? We've heard literally nothing of him. It's like he's been forgotten. I mean, he's not even in the artwork that's on your bulletin cover. Only now we turn to his story. Its beginning states that he's out in the field. In other words, he's hard at work. He may have a robe and a ring and a new pair of shoes, but he's not wearing them. He's out in the field working. And then, much like his younger brother, he approaches the house and is met by something before he even reaches the door, and what greets him is the sound of music and dancing. He asks what's going on and is told of his brother's return and his father's rejoicing, and something just snaps. The bite of indignation, the teeth of jealousy, perhaps the fang of self-righteousness. What? The one who caused such anguish is now accorded such honor? Seething. The older brother refuses to join the party, and the father immediately comes to him, much as the father earlier had hurried out to the younger son. And the father implores his firstborn to come and share the festivities, and the older son's bitterness floods forth. How dare he treat you like this, wasting your money and dragging your name through the gutter and then traipsing back here like nothing happened. And what about me? I've been working here like a dog, and you've given me nothing. And the father says, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this son of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. It's beautiful, and it's admirable, and it's true. But I wonder if you, like me, are wishing the Father had just said, you've got a point. Is it too much to ask that those of us who show up instead of acting out, those of us who more or less follow the rules and carry the load, those of us who volunteer and pledge and then give even more, is it too much to ask that we get a little special attention? It reminds me of a woman I know who says that her most important high school memory is not learning the fight song or singing in the talent show, it's not being on the principal's list or going to the prom, it's not learning how to drive or getting into college, it's coming home on the bus one afternoon, walking in the door and seeing a bouquet of roses on the dining table, and her mom beaming at her saying, look what was delivered for you. The woman admits that as she's opening that little note you get from the florist, that she's inventorying all the boys she has a crush on. But the note read, some people are so nice to have around that their thoughtfulness may go unnoticed. These flowers are but a momentary correction. Love, mom and dad. Decades later, she still has that little card. And I wish the older son had something like that. Maybe not roses, but just the Father's acknowledgement. You've got a point. I wish Jesus had 
seen fit to include that in the story. Or Luke could totally have added it as an editorial comment. <laughs> because it's true. Big Brother has a point. But there's a more important point. Jesus is talking to everyone. Sinful folks who are hungry to hear this and righteous folks who really may not want to. He's telling this story to all us sinners, all of us who have squandered gifts and graces, telling us that no matter what we do, we can never put ourselves beyond the reach of redemption because we cannot be so bad as to defeat God's goodness. And Jesus is telling this story to all us dutiful folks toiling in the field, so busy working hard that we don't notice how we're letting ourselves be eaten alive by resentment and judgmentalness. Jesus is telling us that God's love and joy are not finite. That there is more than enough for all. And the font is our reminder of that. Whenever there's a baptism, I think of the first person I baptized. He is the older of two brothers and both of them live with their single parent. Their mom abandoned, their mom was abandoned by their dad and packed them up and moved all the way from Oregon to Georgia. The boys knew nobody. The younger son, about five years old, had some developmental issues that just exploded into behavioral problems and learning difficulties. He took up all the oxygen of any room he entered. The older brother, about eight years old, responded by taking as little as possible. Quiet, still, and always looking for ways that he could help. The mom called me one day to say that her older son wanted to be baptized, and then reading my mind said that she thought the younger son was too, or it was too early for him. I breathed a sigh of relief, and then I said, since your son is about eight, I think we ought to have a little conversation just so he understands the meaning of baptism. And so the following week, she stopped by with him after school. My mom stood just inside my office door as her older son came around the corner, head slightly down, shoulders slightly hunched. But then when he saw me, he smiled and climbed up into a chair. And so I said to him, are you looking forward to being baptized? And he said, yes, because then I'll be just like all the other kids. I'll belong. And all my theologically sophisticated explanation of baptism went out the window unneeded. And I was left with this question that nobody in their right mind would ask an eight-year-old boy. But I heard myself say, when I put the water on your head, do you want a little water or a lot? <laughs> a lot like when they dumped the bucket on the coach's head. <laughs> Don't worry, I didn't do anything like that. <laughs> but after the baptism, when I walked him down the aisle to introduce him, the body of Christ welcomed him into a party that was already going on. People shook his hand, tousled his hair, patted him on the back. One veteran saluted him, and the youth sitting in the front row of the balcony did the wave. I wish the prodigal son's big brother could feel that. Maybe at some point he does. 
After all, while Jesus provided the beginning, middle, and end of the younger brother's story, for the older brother, the end is not written here. Jesus just stops with the father and the older brother standing out in the yard while the party continues on the other side of an open door. So maybe as part of getting to the main point, maybe the father does say, you've got a point and I'm grateful that you'll talk to me about this because I have loved you since the day you were born and my house is your home and my table is your feast and my children are your family. And now that I've found you, there is no way I'm leaving you out here by yourself. Amen.